Here we go. We are going to begin the next chapter, the laws of Purim. Chapter 142 in Kitzah Aruch. This is the laws of Mishloach Manot Ishle Re'eu, sending gifts of foods to each other. Umatanot Levinim Purim and giving um, charity to the poor and having the, the Purim's feast, the Purim Suda. These are the three remaining mitzvahs of Purim after we've already gone through the first mitzvah, which is the reading of the Megillah. Uba Yutzif contains 10 sub-paragraphs. Here we go. Paragraph 1, Sif Matanis. Every person must send at least two types of food, two gifts of food to one person. The Pasuk in Megillah says, one of, the, one of the enactments of celebrating Purim is that we send foods in the plural to each other in the singular. So that teaches you that it has to be two foods to one individual at minimum. And the more you send to more, to more individuals is praiseworthy. This is just the bare minimum halachically. If that's all you did, you fulfilled your obligation, but ideally, spend you 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 share and 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 uh, send to a few more people as well. Now you only have so much money, right? You have a budget for Purim. You're an organized person. You're a responsible Jew. You know that you can only spend five hundred dollars on Purim, and you have that money has to cover you for shlach manot and the tzedakah matanot lavyonim and your own Purim suda. How are you going to divide that budget? So it says the best thing to do is instead of spending more money on Mishloch, Manot, and the Suda, do what you need to do, but spend more on giving gifts to the poor. There's no greater joy before Hashem, no more beautiful thing before Hashem than to uplift and, and uh make the hearts of the poor and the widows and the orphans happy. Somebody who brings joy to these suffering people is, is comparable to the Divine Presence. Pasuk says regarding Hashem that He gives life to the, to the downtrodden and He gives life to the brokenhearted. And so you emulate Hashem when you reach out to the people in your community who might not be necessarily the top of the social pecking order, they might not be the most popular, uh, prestigious people. Uh, I can tell you right now, the popular, prestigious people don't need your Mishloch Manot. They're getting 100 packages anyway, they'll, they'll be fine. You can say, Happy Purim, I love you. And in your honor, I made a donation and I'm giving more money to Tzedakah. Um, and a matter of fact, a lot of people do that. A lot of people just do bare minimum, that's why you have the custom of cards in lieu of Mishloch Manot, every community has them floating around um, Waterloo doesn't, maybe we should but that's the idea like I have X, X amount of dollars to spend on Purim, I'd rather I'll buy um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll donate to a charity that supports the poor and they'll give me whatever, 50 cards I'll give all those cards to the people I would have given Mishloch Manot to but basically what I'm doing is the money is going more to the poor than to uh, a fancy food basket. That's not to say that it's not, like he says, it's not, it's not, obviously Mishloch Manot is one of the mitzvahs of Purim. And there are people who really make it, this is their big deal. But on balance, definitely want to err on the side of, of giving more money to tzedakah and Purim. 
Okay, base number two. What is the criteria? Can you send somebody a nice French roast with cooking instructions? Answer is no. It has to be edible without any further preparation needed. You can send cooked meat or fish, but you cannot send raw meat or fish. This is written before sushi became a thing. Sushi probably okay because it's ready to eat. That's the criteria. Um, Other options you can send are confections or fruits or uh, wine, um, beer, and so on. Also before a single malt became a thing. So you get the idea. Ready to go. Has to be ready to go. Gimel, Sif Gimel, number three. Kol Adma Filonish Bisral Hamakabal Tzedakah. Every single individual, even somebody who is himself a recipient of tzedakah, must give at least two gifts of charity to at least two individuals. Meaning, in case that was confusing, one gift to one poor person, so here's $10, and another poor person, here's $10 for you. So two total gifts of tzedakah to Two total paupers. The Pasuk in Megillah says gifts, plural, to the poor in the plural. And the implication is as we said. We should not be especially meticulous with counting and, and being uh, measured with the money given out on Purim. Whoever stretches their hand out to take, to accept tzedakah, we give them. This is a unique thing about Purim. Throughout the year, we're allowed to say, hmm, I don't know if I should be giving you tzedakah. You might use it in the wrong way. Or I gave you last week. Or I can't give you because I have to give my cousin. Or whatever. Throughout the year, you have a a hierarchy and a criteria where you're allowed to say, I don't know if you fit the criteria. The answer might be no. If you're basing basing in a criteria, if you're just basing in stinginess, then you you have work to do. But there is criteria. Halacha has a, a hierarchy of, of who gets when. And you might be able to say, halacha, there's, there's halachic basis to say to someone, I'm sorry, I can't help you right now. On Purim, there's no such thing. Purim, there's no grounds to ever reject a request for tzedakah. Anybody who stretches out their hand for tzedakah, you have to give them. So if two, if two, if you're two matanalav yonim are to two wealthy people who request tzedakah, you're still yotze. No, because they're not avyonim. Well, but if they're requesting tzedakah. Well, then you should probably smash a bottle over their head because they don't need to request tzedakah. No, the idea is any poor person who sticks their hand out for tzedakah, you have to give. Someone who's wealthy and is asking for tzedakah, um, you know, should should probably see uh, seek professional help. Um, but that's the idea. That's one of the unique things about Purim, that um, there's really no limits to the giving on Purim. Um, there are lots of Jews who, you know, make sure that Purim, you know, they just have an amazing, amazing generosity. People sit with their checkbooks and just write checks to Tzedakah all day long. Um, it's an incredible day. It's an incredible thing. And, you know, the party of Purim and the celebration and the fun of Purim is really, um, you know, only at, at, at the margins and, and, you know, the externals of it. And really, if you're really feeling that, um, high on life, it should express itself in 
uh, an abundance of tzedakah giving, and it's part of tapping into the infinity of Purim is to be infinite in your tzedakah giving. Um, yeah, and if you have to argue with your wife about it, that's also okay. You make it up to her in the Pesach shopping. If you live in a place where there are no poor people, maybe you live in uh, a socialist utopia and everybody's doing just fine, exactly right in the middle where they're supposed to be. And what you do is you set money aside on Purim. This happens here sometimes. You don't always find somebody to give the money to. So you set the money aside. You say, this is the money I'm dedicating for Matanot Lev Yonim. And you put it in an envelope and you write on it or whatever. And then later on, you can deliver it when, whenever that becomes possible or you can always send it somewhere. Um, what I've done generally, personally, living in Waterloo is it's not really the... In big Jewish communities, it's not a problem. There are people who know very well that Purim is a day for amazing tzedakah giving. They make sure to show up and, and be around so that you don't have to look too far to find someone to give money to. Um, that's not always so easy in Waterloo. So what I've done, especially with the money we collect, like we collect on behalf at our Purim parties, we'll collect matanot l'avyonim, and we'll, you know, you put money in this bucket and we'll get it out there. Who am I going to give it to? Sometimes I have people here who to give it to. And if I don't, then there's plenty of organizations around the world that will do that. They'll process matanot l'avyonim and they'll distribute to people who need it on the spot, on the day of Purim. Um, so you always have that option. Today's day and age really is what I'm trying to say. Um, you don't really have to keep the money aside. You could. You could also just as easily go online. Just Google Matanot Yonim, and you'll find lots and lots of options um, and be able to just give it same day and it's done. Is one of them preferable? Like, is it more preferable to give same day as opposed to if you had no one in your local community to hold on to it? Um, look, the mitzvah is to give it on Purim, right? That's yeah. uh, clearly, I think that's the simple... Uh, you want to give on Purim. If you don't, we have a plan B. Plan A is certainly to give it on Purim. Sure. If at all possible. Um, okay, Dalit. Women are also obligated in these two mitzvahs of Mishloach Manot and gifts to the poor, tzedakah to the poor. When it comes to Mishloach Manot, it's not appropriate to send from one gender to the other, it should be man to man, woman to woman. When it comes to tzedakah for the poor, there we're not makbid, and you can have a woman giving charity to a man, and vice versa, and that's not a problem. I guess the, the basic reason is because there really is not much of a chance of any kind of closeness or friendship that will develop because you gave somebody in dire need a donation. Of tzedakah and Purim, whereas Mishlach Manot is usually a sign of friendship and affection, and like, you know, okay, you shot Mishlach Manot, oh, okay, that's nice, yeah, but we're buddies. Um, and so to, to avoid anything untoward, we do man to man, woman to woman. There are some women who rely on their husbands, and they say, yeah, my husband's taking care of all the Mishlach Manot, I don't have to get involved, and that's not, that's not okay. And they should be stringent and make sure that they themselves send the shalachmanas to their friends. Again, at least one. You, you know, you have a family uh, production. I remember one year, probably the most unforgettable shalachmanas we ever got. Um, we were in Brooklyn driving around like the whole day of Purim, like in many Jewish communities, families are just driving around, visiting each other and, and 
dropping off and saying L'chaim and dancing in the street and, and moving on. It's a big party. And we bumped into my mom's cousin and she said, wait, I have your Mishlach Manot here in the car. And she opened the trunk of her minivan and she had boxes of pizza stacked. It's like, you know, multiple piles of boxes of pizza. And then, you know, those racks for the bottles of pop, you know, the eight bottles in a tray, a few of those. And she gave us a pie of pizza and a bottle of Coke. Happy Purim. Wow. And it was like, yeah, great. Whoa. We have lunch. We're going to eat this in the car. This is, the, this is fantastic. Oh so, yeah, I mean, the pizza shop was really happy with that one. We were really happy with that one. She was really happy. It was, was a win-win across the board. Um, yeah. So I'm saying you have a family project like that where, you know, this is our family's mishloch, or not two other families. Um, women have to make sure that they're actually involved in, in, in giving some out. They shouldn't just say, oh, my husband's doing it. I'm going to stay home and prepare the soda or whatever. They have to give shalach Okay, hey. Shalach uh, is the uh, Ashkenazic um, butchering of the proper term of mishloch manot. Shalach manos. Yiddishized uh, mangling of the Hebrew mishloch manot. Like Shalosh Like Shalosh right. Right. Or good Yamta. We can go on. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, hey. Sif, hey. Chayavin lachel velishtais velismayach. It's still recording, right? Can you check if it's still recording? Well, it is. Okay, you're still recording. Very good. Number five. We are obligated to eat, drink, and be merry on Purim. Even the night of Purim, you have to be rejoicing and add a little bit extra to your to your, to your meal. Not just have a regular dinner. By the way, let me point out. The, the mitzvah to be to be to rejoice on Purim is not the same as be ridiculous on Purim. A lot of people get this confused. Purim is not the Jewish Mardi Gras. I had a meeting today with Laurier because we might do Purim party on, on campus in the turret. And I'm explaining to them what Purim is. I'm like, if you walk into the room, you might think that we're celebrating Mardi Gras, but I promise you we're not. It might look like that for a second, but it's very, very different. And we're not here just to be ridiculous and, and to be silly. Silliness is not rejoicing. Um, being ridiculous is not rejoicing. Happiness and and joy come from from very deep places inside a person. Um, they come from a place of simplicity and spirituality, and faith in Hashem, and trust in Hashem, and so on, and, and gratitude for His miracles, and the belief that uh, Hashem is always with us no matter what. These are the ideas that uh, related to Purim in particular that to help a Jew really rejoice and to tap into the spirit of Purim. Uh, if all you're going to do on Purim is just be a clown, like I said, save it for Tisha B'Av. When Purim falls out on the after Shabbos, on Saturday night, although, so here's a challenge. You're supposed to have Shalashudus on Shabbos afternoon. If you have to have a proper Shalashudus, Right? Not like a Chabatsker. We have like a bite to eat, a snack. We don't need a full meal. 
But if you have a real shalash, you wash, and you have some herring, and some leftover egg salad, maybe a piece of gefilte fish, and you find some rogalach, and you have those two. So, okay, you had a meal. You're not hungry now. Two hours later, Shabbos is over. Ah, oh, it's Purim. You're supposed to have a little extra in your dinner. Full. So he says, wise people plan ahead. Take it easy on the Shalashudas. Do the bare minimum. Wow. Don't have that big old, you know, big, big feast Shalashudas. Have a very modest Shalashudas so you'll be able to have room and appetite for a bit of a Suda on the night of Purim. Nevertheless, this is not fulfilling the obligation of having the Purim Suda by eating a special dinner on the night of Purim. That's not it. The main obligation of having the Purim Suda is during the day. Why? Because the Megillah says that the Purim was established as days of feasting and rejoicing. So it has to be during the day. You should add light candles. The way you would do at a Simcha or a holiday even when the soda is eaten during the day, so you don't need it practically for, for light, but it adds to the ambiance, it adds to the atmosphere when you have candles on the table, so Purim Suda, you should have candles. There's not candle lighting like uh, Shabbos candle lighting. There's no, there's no bracha on, on these candle lightings. It's really just for the ambiance, for the atmosphere, to make it festive. Jews want to make something festive, we light candles. Even the next night, the night of the 15th, Shushan Purim, you also have to have a little bit of rejoicing. Um, while we're on the topic of daytime stuff, so the other mitzvahs that we're talking about here, tzedakah to the poor and shalach manis, also need to be done during the daytime. They cannot be done the night before. So right as Purim begins at night, the only mitzvah you can really do is hear the Megillah, or read the Megillah, the night of Purim. During the day of Purim is when you have really the, the prime time for the other three mitzvahs. On Purim day, you should daven mincha earlier. Not wait, and usually mincha is very often daven, we daven mincha at the end of the day. Very comes to shul, when, when 10 minutes before sunset, we daven mincha quick. He says, Purim, you should not wait till, the, till that point. Daven mincha earlier. Then you start your suda after mincha. So you would do a mincha, let's say 3 o'clock or something like that, 4 o'clock. And after that time, you start your suda towards, you know, early dinner time, way, way before sunset. But make sure that mincha comes before, so you don't have to stop for mincha. At least most of the soda should should take place during the day. You can continue into the night, but you should not start your soda five minutes before sunset. When Purim falls out on Friday, which is always a lot of fun, very unique setup. When do we have the Purim soda? Breakfast. Because we want to be able to have a proper Shabbos meal, and if you if you uh, if you do a real solid Purim Suda starting at three p.m. on Friday afternoon, then what's going to happen is by the time it comes to Shabbos, a you're not going to have the appetite, b you might be under the table. So that's not very uh, respectful for Shabbos. So therefore, have the Purim meal in breakfast. Um, interesting. He doesn't seem. Mention the option of prayers ma'apas. I'll just mention it quickly. There is another option for a Friday Purim when it comes to the Suda. That you start your Suda in the afternoon as you would have started it on any other day of the week. 
But when it comes time for Shabbos, so you cover the bread, all the bread on the table gets covered. You you light Shabbos candles, and then you make kiddush. So it's the same. You're sitting at the same table. You've just took. You've taken a, a ten minute break for Shabbos welcoming ceremonies, and you continue your meal. You 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 would uh, you would. Uh, You bench? I don't remember if I don't think you bench. I think you continue eating. Just cover the bread. I think so. Okay, I'm not sure on that point. Don't quote me. But basically, there is that option for uh, for doing for doing uh, Purim soda that way as well. Some circles it's frowned upon, but it's definitely a halakhically valid valid option for a Friday Purim. Um, okay. It is appropriate, it is good to study Torah a little bit before you begin the Suda. So as you sit down to the table, first thing you should do, study something, read something together. There's an old tradition of Purim Torah. Purim Torah is, you use the formula and structure of uh, Talmudic debate, but in completely nonsensical, ridiculous ways. So I have a book here somewhere with um, a whole Gemara, Gemara written up. As it's it's pure comedy. The whole thing is just it's one. It's I mean it's not all funny, but it's comedy, and it's like okay. So if a piece of achashverosh falls into your soup, how much does it take to be nullified relative to the quantity of the soup? There's debates about it as if it's a piece of meat. You know, it's just poor material. It's That's, an actual duara? No, no, no. It's no. all it's fake. It's it's oh, it's just okay. it's just for for giggles on poor. Um, but besides for that. Besides for that tradition of uh, comedic Dvar Torahs, um, it's also good to have some real Torah study at the beginning of the Suda. Um, it's not quite a proof, but to support that notion, we know that the, the Gemara inter- interprets the verse of the Jews had light, gladness, joy, and honor as referring to four primary mitzvahs. One of them is Torah study. And the Jews having light is a reference to the Jews having Torah study. So it's there's some reference to it in, in the context of Purim as well. What Zerainim? Seeds? What's the translation of Zerainim? Uh, Seeds. Yeah. Uh-huh. So some people say that it's it's good to eat seeds on Purim. Why? Because Daniel and his friends were given seeds to eat and Esther apparently was given seeds to eat when she was in the women's harem before she was chosen as queen. So there's some association with eating seeds like pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds, things like that. Uh, The kind of seeds that are normally eaten. So like, I mean, Daniel ate seeds, sure. Well, that was Purim. That's a good I question. I can't imagine there weren't others. I'm not sure why. Seeds. I'm not sure why it has something to do with Purim. Um, I don't know. There's, a, there's clearly a connection. It doesn't say what it is. Isn't, isn't he related to the whole port, like to Akash? He's related. Yeah, a few generations before. Point. Yeah, but but you know, I mean, we think we would like to have a stronger connection than that. I'm sure there is a stronger connection. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's also I don't I don't know that this is very widespread. I don't, I've never yeah. seen people eating seeds on Purim, but 
maybe one of those custom that got it kind of fizzled. Uh, okay, let's do one more. Since the entire miracle of Purim revolved around wine, where do we see that? Vashti was um, expelled and disposed of during a wine feast, a wine tasting, and that's how Esther came to be the queen. Haman and his uh, fall from grace happened through Esther's parties with wine. Therefore, our rabbis enacted that we should get drunk on wine. person is obligated to get drunk on Purim to the extent that he does not know the difference between cursed as Haman and blessed as Mordechai. Um... This has been giving Jews either reason for great joy and rejoicing, or it's been giving Jews conniptions, probably ever since it was written. Right? There are Jews who look forward to this all year and say, oh, goody, Purim's coming, we can get drunk. And there are Jews who look forward to this with dread all year and say, oh, no, Purim's coming, people are getting drunk. Um, it's obvious, you know, Chazal and the Gemara didn't feel they need to point this out. But um, it's obvious that, that getting drunk to the point of endangering your health or putting other people in danger is never what was intended here. So just at the risk of saying the obvious, um, you know, getting so drunk that you become violent or getting drunk that you become sick is really not, like, not the point at all. There's nothing noble or virtuous about that. Um, and the, you know, I'm reminded of a, uh, if you Google if by whiskey, if by whiskey, you'll find a very interesting speech that was made by a congressman um, sometime in the 20th century, I think. And he spoke about alcohol in Congress. And he said, if by whiskey, you mean the golden brew that heals a man's heart after a long day at work and brings people together in brotherhood, blah, 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 blah. Like all the good parts of alcohol. I'm, I'm, I'm all, during prohibition, then I'm all for it. Right? I'm paraphrasing, but that if, if that's what you mean by whiskey, psh, best thing ever, I'm all for it. However, if by whiskey you mean the devil's brew that destroys homes, that makes men lose their mind and takes their money and destroys lives, blah, 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 I'm dead set against it. These, this is my position, I shall not waver. So the mitzvah to get drunk on Purim is kind of like if by whiskey. You know, you do it like an idiot, it was never the intention. Do it like a Jew, and you say l'chaim, and you lose some inhibition, and you let your soul shine. There's nothing more beautiful. I've seen both. Yeah, the Gemara does say that you shouldn't, you shouldn't get completely drunk. What do you mean? There's a story about with Reb Zera getting shechted. Yeah, yeah, that was a story. Right. So you have to, you have to. Get, that's that's an example of it by whiskey. What's right? the story? Um, Rava and Ramzeira had uh, Purim soda together one year. Right? So the Gemara says they got drunk. They're supposed to get drunk. They drank. They got drunk. Um, not Rava, Rava. And uh, Rava stood up and slaughtered Ramzeira. And he prayed for his life to be restored. And he came back to life. Next year he invited him, let's do Purim again. He says, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Miracles don't happen.
<laughs> the Rebbe has a whole story about this. He questions the whole thing. It's like, there's no way you could take the story literally. There's no way that a rabbi would slaughter another rabbi. It means something totally different and it's all allegory and there's no way that this is to be taken at face value. Um, that's a topic for another time. Um, but yeah, obviously, again, just a, a word of, of caution and a word of common sense that, um, you know, I don't think it's fair to take the extreme position either that, um, you know, I, I don't like it, therefore I'm not going to. Um, and Purim will be like a regular day for me. I mean, Purim is Purim. You have to go out of your box a little bit. And for some people, taking a half a shot glass of, of whiskey is is all they need to go out of their box. And fine, so be it. Well, the Pachas, he says, at the very least, if you're not going to get drunk, okay, if you refuse to get drunk, no matter what we tell you, then at the very least, you must drink more than your, what is your custom. If your custom is zero, it's very easy to drink more than your custom. Right? Half a shot glass is more than your custom. There's no... Uh, it's not the Seder. There's no, there's no shear of, of what kind of cup you have to use. And, you know, it's not Kiddush. More than normal. In order to remember, recall the great miracle that happened, and then you'll sleep. Here's the loophole for those who don't enjoy or can't indulge in alcohol. That when you're when you're asleep, you don't know the difference between cursed as Haman and blessed as Mordechai. So you fulfilled your obligation, especially if you fall asleep due to the drinking. Someone is of weak constitution and by nature is not able to handle the alcohol. Somebody who knows, if I let myself go and I go on the alcohol to Purim Sudan, I'm going to neglect a mitzvah. I'm going to neglect a bracha. I'm going to neglect davening. You know, if, I, if, I, if I really have a lot of l'chaim right now, I'm not going to daven myrif tonight. Or I'm not going to end up benching tonight. Or whatever might happen. Right? I'll, I'll roll down the street and embarrass myself. Or God forbid, you will come to silliness. Right? Better the person should not drink at all. Should not get drunk. And in general, and specifically in this context, all your actions should be for the sake of heaven. So again, this just kind of rounds out the point that there's a certain type of drinking that we're referring to on Purim that you should drink. It's not drink just for the sake of drinking. It's not drink and get silly. It's not drink and get dangerous. It's not drink and get drunk to the point where you forget that you have to bench and and live a life as a Jew. It's part and parcel. It's not a departure. It's not a departure from living life as a Jew. It's part and parcel of it. And like I said, when it's done right, there's nothing more beautiful than a Jew who is completely outside of his comfort zone, outside of his box, and drunk on alcohol and drunk on God and poor. We will break here and continue next week. Can you, uh... Yeah. Oh, yeah.